This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver. RTD is going to be free for two months starting next week. So me and producer Paul Caroli are talking transit and responding to some of your comments and questions about Buffalo Bill, French Fry Art, and Stephen King. Today is Tuesday, June 27th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. Good morning, Bree. Sorry, can you guys hear my dog? Mm, just a little bit. How's your dog doing? Boomhauer? <laughs> yeah. He's fine. The top story of the week, Boomhauer. Boomhauer is existing. Boomhauer status update. <laughs> Boomhauer is existing in the world. <laughs> he's good. He's just, he's out barking in the backyard at whatever's going on in our crazy alley. Back so. to you. Uh, at the news desk. Back to you. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Boomhauer. Okay, so a big thing I know we got to talk about is this Zero Fare for Better Air is back. RTD is bringing back their Zero Fare for Better Air program. But Paul, tell me what's going on. So last year, if you'll remember, RTD did this thing where for the whole month of August, they just said, no fares. We don't want your money. It's just free to ride the bus for a whole month. And uh, this year, uh, because everybody seemed to like how that program went last year, um, Governor Polis and some RTD officials announced officially, finally, uh, last week that not only would Zero Fare for Better Air be back, but as rumored, it's going to be expanded this year. So for all of July and all of August, RTD buses, accessorides, flex rides, light rail, everything is going to be completely and totally free. Awesome. It sounds great. Yeah. And the whole idea is this better air thing, right? Because this is the time of the year when our air quality is worst, when we have the most issues with ozone. So the hope is that by directing people to get on public transit, that some of those air quality problems won't be quite as bad. I think it's uh, something that strikes me is that this is two months now instead of just one month. So that gives folks a little bit more time to maybe try out changing their habits. One of the things was data, right? What did we see bear out from last year's sort of experiment with this offering the fo- uh, offering everyone in the city the opportunity to ride the bus or light rail for free? What did we learn like now that it's a year out almost? What did we learn from that? experiment. Well, this is information that RTD has reported. And this is why people are so excited about it. um, Because the increases in ridership on transit during that free month were considerable. RTD reported they saw a 36% increase in ridership in August 2022, compared to August 2021. 
And speaking to your point about habit, and I thought this was really particularly interesting, that increase carried over. So some of those people who, who maybe picked up uh, the bus last August stayed on in September. Ridership in September only dropped about 3% last year. So it seems like there are indications that people remained interested despite it costing some money. It sounds good to me, right? On paper, it sounds great. Uh, the results from last year sound great. But what do you what do you think about this, Paul? What do you think about this approach to uh, the air quality issue? And I think the bigger issue of changing people's habits. Well, for me, the the whole thing, and, and even last year, I, I was talking about this, and there's just one piece of data that is really conspicuously missing whenever RTD officials or our elected officials who are supporters of this program talk about it. And that's car drivers. Like are people actually getting out of their cars uh, and choosing transit instead? Or are the people who are flocking to public transit, are they people who wouldn't otherwise be driving? Because that's what's actually going to lead to better air quality is if fewer people drive. Um, so I looked around to try to find some of that data. I still have not found that. I don't know if anyone has tracked that or or where to find that. If someone out there has that, I would love to see it. Um, I would love to be proven wrong about this. But, you know, as I was doing that search, I did find um, a really interesting article from this um, national transit expert guy, David Zipper. Um, he, he wrote up this piece for Bloomberg. Um, he's also a visiting fellow at the Harvard Kennedy School's Taubman Center for State and Local Government. So, you know, he knows what he's talking about a little bit. Um, and he just wrote this thing surveying these free fare programs that have popped up in Denver, Salt Lake City, different cities around the country. Um, and he just has the same takeaway. He has the same takeaway that it's not actually decreasing car use. Um, and his explanation, which I thought was fascinating, is, quote, uh, car owners tend to be wealthier than the general public and their access to a private vehicle makes them less willing to tolerate bus transfers, wait times, or slow journeys, especially in a region lacking frequent and fast bus service. Sound familiar? RTD. I mean, mm -hmm. that's RTD mm -hmm. to me. Um, so yeah. removing a $2.50 fare uh, seems unlikely to convince many drivers to leave their keys at home. That's his conclusion. I think that's a fair assessment or at least one component of this conversation that I agree with you is missing. Uh, the other thing I think about is just um, that Washington Post profile that we've talked about many times of the bus driver and her experience on the bus. And anecdotally, the things I hear from mm -hmm. folks who ride the bus. And like you said, the slow the slow wait times, the in inconsistent service. I think about when my friend Kaylin Heffernan, who uses a wheelchair, has been stranded several times when the light rail doesn't show up. So I can see all of those things kind of blending into the other issue that I don't think gets addressed, which is like RTD's PR problem. What you do know? you mean? That, I just feel like it doesn't have a good reputation. So the 250 is not going to change my mind about the fact that like, or the bus stop story we had from a couple of weeks ago where that woman was trying to keep the bus stop clean. Like I've seen bus stops in my neighborhood. I wouldn't want to have to stand there if I didn't absolutely have to. They're usually missing trash cans. There's nowhere to, there's, you know, there's not cover from the sun. I can just see like all of these things adding up to the thing that you're talking about, which is what is going to get me out of my car probably not this thing that doesn't seem very attractive unless it's like the thing I absolutely have to use to get around. That's what I would say. Zipper's conclusion is that 
local leaders must allocate significant dollars and political capital towards expanding transit service and curtailing the preferential treatment of cars. Yes. So those two things for him at least. And, and I think that's the issue here. Like you're saying is RTD. It's like, it's just not frequent enough and it doesn't cover enough area for it to be as competitive of an option to, to cars for most people. But I also I like his point here about um, not just expanding the service, but making it harder to drive or making it less attractive to drive, which I feel like our friends at Denver Streets Partnership have talked about a lot, too, is like, how do we make roads like federal, for instance, more bus friendly and pedestrian friendly and not less car friendly, but less geared towards cars and more geared towards these other modes of transit so that it does become more of a, a obstacle to drive and it you think, oh, it'd be easier just to get on the bus. Like at, right now, that's not the, the thought process for most of us who drive. So I guess in that way, I, I am a little bit optimistic about the, the zero fare for better air two months now. I mean, this is an opportunity for a lot of people to try out RTD to see what yes. it's like. Maybe it works for you. You know, maybe you didn't realize there was a bus stop just around your, your corner and there's a line that actually goes directly to where you work. And now, now you're a transit rider. Now it's part of your life. So it could be, it could be a really, really good thing. That's awesome. I like that. I like going into this with those uh, going into July with that thought. Let's just try it. We've got, we've got eight weeks to try it. Plenty of things you could go out and do. Maybe just try one day where you're running errands differently or getting to work differently and see how it goes. I like that. It's free. Why not? Why not? Cool. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, more news and conversation. This episode is brought to you by Pine Melon, the farmer's market delivered. Pine Melon is a next generation grocery delivery app that partners with over 200 farmers, ranchers and producers in Colorado to help make fresh, locally sourced foods available to the Denver community at fair prices. Get high quality meats, eggs and dairy from small local farms, fresh baked breads from local bakeries and more, as well as all of your favorite pantry staples. Best part is Pine Melon offers same day delivery to Denver and soon Boulder within a two hour window, no subscription necessary. Save time in your busy schedule and get fresh and healthy groceries delivered right to your door. Join the movement and support local today. Use promo code CityCastDenver for $75 off your first delivery at PineMelon.com. That's PineMelon.com. And we're back. So we're going to go through some questions and comments that we got from you, our lovely listeners and uh, readers of our newsletter. Um, But we got this question from Kate, aka KAdams5280 on Twitter. Kate said, CityCast Denver, I just heard that the Denver Design District is getting ready for demolition. Do you have any insight into this? Will the Bayer sculpture remain on site? Thanks. Well, I can answer half of that. (laughs) <laughs> and I think I should probably even start by saying what the Denver Design District is, because I'm not sure if everybody knows what that is. Please, I'm not super familiar with it either. Yeah, so the Denver Design District is a place. Um, it's just north of the I-25 and South Broadway interchange. Um, and it's it's kind of like a campus. It's a, sort of a marketplace for interior design wholesalers. There's like 30, 34, 35 or so showrooms um, that you can go walk through and see all kinds of furniture, fabrics, lighting, kitchen, that kind of stuff. Um, but the Bayer sculpture, that seems like something you'd be pretty familiar with, Bree. 
Yeah, you know, um, for folks, I'll just describe it because, like you said, it's right off uh, I twenty five and Broadway. Yeah, um, it's what some people refer to as the fr- French fries or the French fries stack. Um, so it's this giant yellow, bright yellow sculpture, um, and it's actually called the Articulated Wall, and it is a piece by Herbert Bayer, who was a artist and. Um, He lived here in Denver from the 40s through the 70s, and he was a student of the Bauhaus movement. And it's really kind of our connection to that movement. So the Denver Design District is interesting because it's also kind of connected to that section of Broadway and Alameda where they demolished the Kmart. And they're just doing a lot of uh, demolition and renovation over there. But what does this mean for the Denver Design District, Paul? Yeah, I think that's what Kate's probably worried about here is a lot of those changes that are happening and specifically the one about um, the I-25 South Broadway interchange being redeveloped by the city and by CDOT. Um, but I, I sent an email to the Denver Design District and I heard back from the CEO of the development company that is behind the area. His name is Chris Waggett. And he says, quote, the Denver Design District isn't going anywhere and neither is the iconic articulated wall. So good news. Um, however, that area is being redeveloped, like we mentioned, and in the next few years, this company that Waggett runs is developing a new mixed use neighborhood that they're calling Broadway Park. So there are going to be a lot of changes there. Among those changes, he says, they're thrilled to report that they've installed two new Bayer sculptures. One is called Four Chromatic Gates. At, that's at the Alameda Station Transit Plaza. And the other is called Forest at Bayer Square. Um, and, and he says they're taking inspiration from these and the Bauhaus School of Design in all of our developments at Broadway Park. To that end, we're working with Herbert Bayer's niece, Coco Bayer. I mean, a couple of things. I'm super excited about this. I am I love this uh, thought about making it more of a neighborhood where we could maybe walk around. Like, I'm going to go actually probably go wander around there this week and see what's going on. I can't believe we're going to get two new sculptures, which is great. Um, but I'm glad you brought up Coco Bayer. So Coco Bayer is, like you said, the niece of Herbert Bayer. And she's an artist here in Denver. Folks might know her work. I actually first got acquainted with her. Uh, I think she was a photographer in sort of the drag community. And I met her a long time ago when she was... Um, doing photography, but she does these big sort of wheat paste or like, they're like a giant sticker Hmm. and they're usually a heart and, um, they'll be paint, they'll be pink or purple or rainbow on the inside. And then they have a big, just like a singular word. It'll say like hope or love in it. Um, or sometimes she does these hands with an eye in the middle. I'll put a link to her work in the show notes, but I guarantee once you see Coco's work, you'll be like, oh my gosh, I've seen this everywhere. So I really, I love uh, the design district's attention here to the familial roots of the Bayer family, Hmm. because it's not only cool that we have this connection to the Bauhaus movement, but that we have this continuing lineage of artists here in Denver. So I'm so glad Kate asked us this question. It gave us a little reason to dig around. So yeah, great question. Also fascinating answer that the Bayer family turns out. So cool. Artists, artists defining our city. I love that. So the next thing that we're going to talk about is our tourist traps episode from last week where uh, we discussed our favorite tourist traps, like the things we think are maybe kind of kitschy or maybe expensive or not, but but just worth seeing. Um, And we got quite a few responses from listeners about the things that they like, didn't like, or that they just wanted to share with us. Um, Paul, did you want to share? Uh, we had a note from a gentleman about your recommendation about Buffalo Bill's grave. 
Yeah, sure. So this is from Stephen G. Uh, he writes, hi guys. I enjoy the show. Thanks for the info and entertainment. Uh, I had a note uh, on the Buffalo Bill Museum and Grave recommendation. He says, there is some dispute over whether Buffalo Bill is actually buried up above Golden. Had you heard about this? This is like a great historical <laughs> mystery. No, honestly, when you brought it up on the show last week, I was like, I genuinely do not know anything about Buffalo Bill's connection here in Colorado or what's going on with him. All right. Well, it's it, this is such a fun story. And uh, there's a great write-up from the Denver Public Library that Stephen shared. We'll put that in our show notes. But a couple of highlights, uh, highlights for me at least. Buffalo Bill, when he died, he was first interred at Olinger Mortuary, which is now Linger Restaurant in Highland, um, another great tourist spot that's yes. actually good. Um, but the controversy around this, like where he's actually buried question, it arises from his own will. Uh, in the first draft, he said he wanted to be buried outside of Cody, Wyoming, which is a town he founded. And, uh, but then in the second draft, he later amended it to say, no, I want to be buried up on the top of Lookout Mountain with this great view of, of Denver. Um, now, some people say that a group of Cody residents snuck into the Olinger mortuary and swapped Bill's body for a double and that the double's body is the one that's buried up on top of Lookout Mountain. But according to this Denver Public Library write-up, that theory has been debunked. Obviously, people have different ideas about this. Uh, overall, super fun historical mystery. Like I said, that link is going to be in the show notes. Okay. I'm, anybody that messes with dead bodies, I'm just always like, ooh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, that that was, uh, it was good to know. Paul, do you want to read the next email from a listener? Sure. This one is from Megan Kay. Uh, she's got her own tourist trap recommendation. She writes, hey, City Gas team. I love the episode today. Another treat I'd recommend is the free Denver Mint Tour. One of only four mints in the United States. You need to line up early for same day tickets, but it's a great addition to a day downtown. Again, another building I've wandered by many times. If I'm going to the courthouse, if we're over, uh, well, when Dozens was over there. I've always walked by it and I've just never, never done the tour. So I'm definitely going to, maybe that's something I'll take my son to do. I love that idea. Same. Yeah. I've never been to the one in Denver. I think I went to the one in um, maybe Philadelphia when I was a little kid. They had a, the gift shop. There was like, you could buy little um, like bricks of shredded bills that had been molded into different shapes. And I got one in the shape of a little bell. Ooh. I don't know where that is. <laughs> you can go get it. Maybe you can go get a new one. Maybe get a little replacement. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of tourist traps, we had another uh, listener write in. Daniel L. said, I was so excited to see in here Tiny Town featured this week. It blows my mind how many people aren't aware of it. But in their defense, it's full of kitsch, which isn't always a draw for everyone. I agree. I'm so glad we got a reason to talk about Tiny Town. <laughs> yeah, seems like a cool place. So Danielle had more to say about Tiny Town. Um, and this was a great email. So thank you so much, Danielle, for writing in. Um let me dig into this. So quoting from her email, Danielle says, one more note on tiny town. I have a theory that I've been trying to prove since I discovered the place. I'm a big Stephen King fan and know he used to live somewhere in Colorado. Many of his books take place or at least reference places in Colorado. The Shining is of course the most popular and well-known. The follow-up to The Shining is called Dr. Sleep and it follows a grown Danny who has inherited his father's alcoholism 
Uh, he hits rock bottom and picks a random town on the East Coast to try to start fresh. There he meets a man at the town center who cares for Tiny Town, which is described in the book as a miniature replica of the town you can walk through feeling like Godzilla. Uh, and they even have a tiny steam locomotive that you can take a ride in, just like Tiny Town and Morrison. In the book, the railroad actually leaves the town and takes you up a little mountain and back, but I'm convinced that Stephen King visited the original Tiny Town when he lived here and wrote it into the book. However, I have yet to find information about this anywhere on the internet. How about that? I am with Danielle in that I have never heard anyone else talk about this, especially when we talk about Stephen King. I mean, think about The Shining, the the whole thing around the Stanley. I mean, this is the Stanley Hotel's full-time gig now, right? As being a, a place for Stephen King fans to go. Now, if you want to be like a supreme Stephen King fan, I think you need to go to Tiny Town and get some get get some pictures taken of yourself around those buildings. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I, yeah. What a great connection. Loved it. Loved it. And finally, we have a voicemail from a listener, Jenny. Good morning, Bree. This is Jenny from University Sales. And I just listened to the show that told us all about the summer fun in Colorado. And I just wanted to let you know, you missed one. This is a tourist gem in Colorado. It's about an hour outside of Colorado Springs in the town of Divide. And it's actually called the Colorado Wolf and Wildlife Center. It's an amazing spot. First of all, it's a really great escape from Denver because you get 10 degrees cooler when it's so hot in the summertime. And you get to go and meet wolves. And they're not, like, in a bad, sketchy enclosure. They're actually certified by the Association of Zoos and Aquariums. And I think they're, like, the only wolf sanctuary that does that. And you can howl with the wolves. And it's an amazing experience. They have saved animals. They've got um, – the reason why they have the Association of Zoos and Aquariums is because they have um, Mexican gray wolves, which are endangered. And it's – it's really quite a special place. And if you have any old meat in your freezer that's been there forever, they want you to bring it because they totally are feeding those guys meat. And it doesn't matter if it even has a little bit of freezer burn. So um, you can go feel good about yourself and feel good about Mother Nature and feel a little bit cooler from the temperatures. It's a win-win-win Colorado kind of adventure. Have a great day. Enjoy the mountains. I loved this recommendation. Oh my God, Jenny, thank you. First of all, it's like Jenny knows that my family switched to uh, mostly vegetarian and I have a freezer full of chicken that I need to get rid of. So (laughs) (laughs) I love this recommendation. I've never heard of it. And I think it, I I think we need to tell newsletter editor Peyton Garcia about this because this sounds right up her alley. Yeah, I think she would like it. I not only have I heard of this, Bree, but I have been to this wolf sanctuary. Oh, you have? And I can confirm. Yeah, I have. Um, it's it's near the Florissant fossil beds. Um, pretty nice area. But it's this is a really cool spot. I totally agree. There's all kinds of wolves. I mean, the howling, that happened. No one in my tour group did any howling <laughs> along with the wolves, but I guess we could have. It was a missed opportunity. Um, but that's a fun idea and definitely a good spot. Worth the trip. Well, uh, this was fun, Paul. I always love when we get to hear from from our community that listens. It's really awesome. Same. Our audience, our listeners, they're the best. You guys rule. Well, thanks, Paul. I'll see you later. Bye, Bree.
That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed the show, why not take a minute to tell Will Kogel we said hi. Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter, Hey Denver, by texting Denver to 66866. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. See you later. So are we starting with the future of French fry art?